Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. Welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Benny-Smith, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. How's it going? In what will be our fifth episode, we're doing a very long over- overdue interview with uh, vocalist Loki of Melbourne-based metal band Hybrid Nightmares. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight, Loki. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> uh, so we've been trying to organise this interview for a couple of months now, and I'm really keen to uh, just get into it. So our first question, as always, is uh, how would you describe Hybrid Nightmares music for somebody who's never heard of Hybrid Nightmares before? I think um, avoiding cliches would is is the best thing when describing our music, and I would just put it as bluntly as progressive black metal. So it's got all the hallmarks of classic black metal, but um, we've we've brought in a lot of progressive elements from more modern writing styles. That that would be the best way. Progressive black metal. Mm-hmm. Were yeah. progressive metal and black metal the first styles that you were interested in when you first got into metal, or what kind of specifically hooked you when you first started listening to the genre? I think um, a lot of people, my vintage, uh, sort of uh, late 20s, early 30s, started at the same point with bands like System of a Down, Corn, Slipknot, and those guys. And then when I was younger, we were really fortunate to have a store in Melbourne called Metal Mayhem, um, which was run by a man called Nick Petrov. And he was very, he was like, it's like the godfather of the Victorian scene because young people like me would come in and he'd be like, oh, you like this, try this, and you like this, try this. And one day he got me onto um, someone had downloaded off LimeWire, Dimmy Gears, Puritania. And um, I like fell in love with that song and the, and the sound of it and the vocal style of it. And so I went to him and said, oh, have you got anything like this? And he said, yep. And he sold me Puritanical Euphoric Misanthropia by Dimmy mm. Gear. And that for me was the the black metal moment, the epiphany. Um, a lot of the guys I went to school with ended up listening to a lot more death metal. So they went down there. Oh, what's the most brutal thing? I can, what's the most savage sounding thing I can listen to or what's got the grossest lyrics or whatever. Um, and they ended up down there, like, you know, your cannibal corpses and the, and the appeal of um, hammer smash face and, and all sorts of other awful song titles. And <laughs> I, I sort of went more, black metal i found that more interesting the concept like the, the concepts in black metal of freedom and and identity and those sorts of things so yeah that's that's how i ended up there so you were looking at the lyrics quite early on then yes um i think even as a young guy i, I when i was younger my parents tried me out on all sorts of genres of music um and there's always been sort of a narrative bent in my family especially on my father's side we're all storytellers and so stories and I guess the lyrics of stories are pivotal to, I guess, my up, to my upbringing and also uh, the way I listen to songs. So 
a lot of people I speak to, they go, oh, it's a great song. And I'm like, oh, did you, did you oh, that's a, but I was sitting there and go, oh, that's a great lyric. Or, geez, that's a clever rhyme. Or, oh, did you hear how they did this and it made this happen? And people go, what the hell are you talking about, man? Because I don't, like, I, I guess I hear it more from like a, a lyrical slant because that's, A, I write the lyrics and B, that's kind of always been my family's focus, like the message or the story behind a song. I think that, yeah, that's probably where it comes from. So when I, when I was picking up those CDs, I was devouring lyrics booklets. I, I really still like CDs and records and tapes and all that for that exact reason. You get the book, you can read the lyrics. It's like, it's like, it's like you're holding it in your hands and you're like, these are my lyrics. Like I'm going to, I'm going to read these and I'm going to do these. Like I think that's where it started was just like trying to, and also like a lot of the black metal stuff when you're just starting out, it's really inaccessible. So you're hearing the, Bleh! and you're like, Oh, I wonder what he's saying. And so you kind of have to go back to the booklet until you get an ear for it. Mm. Mm. Um, especially with the really lo-fi stuff from a thousand years ago, you, you have no choice, but to go back to the, is he saying Satan or, or Sultana? Like I need to, I need to read, make sure which word he's using. Mm. Yeah. So you said you liked the storytelling involved in a lot of uh, black metal lyrics. Like, is there any kind of particular, I suppose, types of stories that you particularly were drawn to in the early days? Um, I think a lot of young people find something to rage against. And mine was um, religion when I was younger. So I was pretty anti-religion, all religions. Um, and I think so, you know, like stories of conquest over religions or um, breaking the chains of religions uh those sorts of things especially lyrics that perhaps really don't make sense but sound cool th- th- those are the sorts of stories and lyrics that were drawn that i was drawn to m- most um stuff like and then, and then and then when i got a bit older i went to a monomath and stuff because i really liked the way it played into the edders and and the asatru norse mythology the storytelling and that's awesome it, the original source material is awesome and so the lyrics to draw from that source material are equally as, as good um until they release the same album eight times uh then it's not as um it's not as in you know engaging but as a younger bloke when you're like oh this is cool it's like strong and they're telling the stories of my ancestors like that yeah yeah that, those sorts of things really drew, drew me to those um to, to those artists do you still enjoy this um, kind of that same lyrical themes now, or are there other things that you're kind of looking for? I guess um, I won't, if I'm listening to a song, I won't be like, oh, this, this, like, I'm going to enjoy this because it's an anti-religious song. Or if I listen to a song and it's like boppy or poppy or whatever, I'm not going to be like, this is garbage because they're not singing about the devil. Um, I think now I, I learned to appreciate clever lyricism, uh, rhyming. I'm a big, I'm big on rhymes proven in my lyrics Mm. um and clever lyricism tricky phrasing things that like danny filth does rappers like uh recently sadly departed mf doom the things that they do Mm -hmm. where they're it's just like clever tricky rhymes and lyrics that's the stuff that really impresses me these days i listen to it and go fuck that's clever like you get a real bit of satisfaction out of it like a twist like a satisfying twist in a movie except it's lyrics or like a word, a word choice or a word placement choice that makes you go, oh man, that's, oh, that's cool. Like that, that's the stuff I really hunger for now. And, and that's, you know, genre. I know we're focusing a lot on the heavier stuff, but it's a genre, span, it's across all genres. So it's what clever. makes the lyrics kind of appear clever versus, you know, not clever? 
to me, uh, entirely subjective, of course. To me, hmm. it's like when when you write a lot of lyrics or stories and you can hear what choice you would have made, like a natural choice, you would have gone, oh, I would have done this here. And then you can hear what they've done instead of what you would do. Like, because you're listening to the music and you're going, okay, goes like this. I reckon they're going to do this here. And then all of a sudden it hits you out of left field and it's something like if it's still conventional, but different, you're like, okay, they did that there. But if something hits you out of left field, like, bam, you didn't know it was coming. You're like, oh man, that's clever. Like, I can't believe they did that. I would never have, I would never have thought to do it like that. That's what I consider clever. Um, Do you have an example from a recent release or something that stuck out in your mind? Lyrically? Yeah. You know what? Um, I can't remember the artist and I can't remember the name of the song, but it's a brutal death metal song. Volvodinia is on it and the feature is a bloke whose name I can't remember. It's a Volvodinia song and the feature is a bloke I can't remember the name of, but they get to the core and the whole thing is really like really low, low blow to the guts, vomit, death metal and slammy riffs. And then the chorus is literally just a guy going, and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Like there's something, literally there's no lyric to it. He's doing like that. And I'm like, this is, this is awesome. This is, this is something about this. That's the last time I got really, really excited <laughs> on on a chorus. It sounds so bizarre. Yeah, I think that's the most recent example. Yeah, that's interesting because it's not necessarily even like words per se that or. Yeah, it's like clever. Like I guess it, using like common words, but rather just. Yeah, I guess it reflects clever. I guess it's more like a like a clever vocal than a clever mm-hmm. lyric per se. But I guess what it's pointing out is the choice that they made to have that mm-hmm. artist feature and use their unique style in that spot mm. when they could easily have just their way through the chorus and it would be just another brutal slam chorus that I would have skipped the next time I heard it. But instead yeah. it's just like that's the whole chorus and for some reason it's like you get to it and you're like, yes! Like, <laughs> There's something tough about it, and it's literally just a guy making pig noises. So, On yeah. the other end, are there songs that you've felt are kind of ruined by the lyrics, uh, or times that you felt the lyrics of a song just like weren't metal, or or just kind of threw you out of the song? If I don't like the lyrics in a song, I'll, I'll skip it. Again, not exclusive to metal, but um, like if I find a lyric particularly like contrived or boring, or very cliche like the like i guess this we were talking about this earlier in the interview was um it's like hyper satanic stuff like glory for satan like all right we get it satan he's he gets the job done move on find something else like you can you, there's so many more cooler things to sing about unless they're doing something i like like so off the wall brand new like say an artist like ghost man is doing where he's blending like esoteric black metal lyricism with trap music and like eighties, nineties industrial. Then he's like, okay, Satan's cool again. We're on this thing. But like, if it's just a, like a, like an angry dude going, I give my life for Satan. Like it's boring. All, all the best black metal. No, that's, that was going to be a misnomer. Most of the best black metal bands have moved away from satanic stuff into other, other material. And it's been for the better. So yeah, if I hear a lyric, that's like, Unless they're doing something really cool with it, if it's like too cliche, I just map. Just can't mm-hmm. do it. Can you Is still it... listen to the? Oh, sorry, Jess. No, uh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Can you still listen to the original stuff, or has even the the kind of um, the beginnings of it become cliche now that it's been done so much? I think 
a lot of black metal loses its luster after you've listened to it for a long time. So I think my attachment to the older black metal that I listen to now is mainly nostalgia. Um, there are artists that I in- uncover from the old days every now and then. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, shit, I can't believe I didn't hear this 10 years ago. And sometimes I'm like, this is garbage. Um, and it could probably do a lot of people sound you know, the same as the things that I enjoy. But I think the stuff that I enjoyed then, I still enjoy now for the most part. Um, and, but stuff that sounds like it that would be released now, I'm probably like, whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? It's been done. I've been listening. Oh, I heard this when I was 13, man. Like, give me something new. Mm. Yeah. So as you obviously listen to like a really diverse range of music, do you think you can very clearly delineate like what is metal lyrics versus non-metal lyrics? Not at all. Um, okay, interesting. I think anything can be, it can make its way into the sphere of metal, regardless of whether it's like, I, I don't think heavy metal lyrics or even vocals have to be particularly grim, brutal, dark, um, depressing, angry, suicidal, um, miserable, sad. There's there's plenty of great heavy metal songs that are triumphant, uh, happy, loving, caring. It sounds crazy, but those sorts of those sorts of lyrical elements can make their way in to to metal as well. And so I don't think, like if you like if you put two songs side by side, um, if you listen to I have a as you said a super Catholic taste in music, and if you put lyrics side by side, some of the songs that I listen to, you'd be like, yep, that's definitely the metal song. And I'd be like, nah, sorry, that's not the metal song. This one's the metal song. And it would be, would be something a bit softer lyrically. Mm. Yeah. When did you first start writing lyrics yourself? Uh, I had a crack at writing lyrics when I was younger. Um, I had a cracked version of guitar pro and I was doing my best at the time with no musical training. Um, to, to write, you know, something really grim. Uh, and so I'd say I was about 14 or 15, I guess, when I wrote my first lyrics, just sort of like standard A, B rhyme, glory for Satan stuff, which is the stuff that I was listening to a lot of at the time. And so, you know, it's really like, okay, that's the stuff I enjoy. That's the stuff I want to make. Um, so yeah, I'd say about 14 or 15, uh, a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of people that age, um, you know, who are angry or sad. Uh, do like poetry or journals or whatever. And I think for me, it was like I can, my outlet can be something I can apply to music. So that that's sort of when I did it. At that time, do you think you would have uh, had a different opinion to what you just said now about whether or not you can tell something is metal by the lyrics alone? I reckon when I was younger, I probably would have been like, that's not metal. I, I can see myself being that guy. Absolutely. Because, you you know, as, as a younger person, you're kind of, def- as, a, as a metal head, you're kind of defined by your music and like you want your lyrics or your music to represent how you want the world to see you. Right. So like you want to be a tough guy or you want to be brutal or an outcast or whatever. And so, yeah, I probably would have had pretty strong opinions about that's not metal, um, which is very different from now because I think, yeah, any, anything can be metal. Isn't just about lyrical content. There's a, there's a million ingredients that go into the stew. And what makes a good stew isn't necessarily the same ingredients every time. So, yeah, as a kid, though, 100%, I would have been like, that's not brutal. That's shit. That's soft. This one's about gutting pigs and burning churches. This is way more brutal than your feelings or reality. Turns right. out reality is pretty brutal. Mm. 
So does that mean that like, you know, the way in which you've approached lyric writing has also changed across that time? From my youth to when I joined the band, yes. From the time I joined the band till now, no. Because Hybrid Nightmares has always had a very clear lyrical, perhaps not tone, vocal tone, but lyrical sound. I'd say it's been pretty consistent across all the releases uh, since since I started writing to a project rather than writing for myself. Yeah, I think I, I think we, we ironed out a lot of the, I wouldn't say they're kinks because they're not things to be, you know, ignored or destroyed or ironed out. But I'd say a lot of the focus, there's there's more focus, there's focus to the, to the writing now as opposed to just being whatever I'm thinking, it becomes a focused effort. Yeah. Has there been any instances though, while you're writing for Hyper Nightmares where you've written something and then thought, oh, this isn't like, metal enough or isn't heavy enough and, and, and change it because of that? No, I can't think of it. I can't think of a, uh, of an example in the band where I've been like, I have to change this lyric because it's not tough enough or heavy enough or whatever. I think because I, I can think of example, I can't think of examples. I could probably think of examples given it, given a moment. I can think of times where I've chosen a different lyric because I don't think it conveys my intent clearly. Mm-hmm. I've chosen a different word because isn't precise enough to 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 communicate whatever idea or story i'm trying to tell but in terms of it fitting like a like a narrative of like what's metal no absolutely not i'd ever be like that's a crap word that's a soft word i'm going to use a, a more jagged word jagged's a word i use a lot for for, for tone and vocals but i'm going to use a more jagged word there like no nah, if it the word conveys the meaning that's the most important part and it could be a really you know i guess if you want to say like like a softer word or a you know, sometimes that's the right word to use for whatever reason. Um, so, like, can you just explain then, like, what your actual process is now for, you know, writing lyrics for Hybrid Nightmares? So, the last couple of albums we've gotten, they get to a certain stage where the writing, the musical writing is done or mostly done. And they'll come to me and I'll sit down and listen to it a billion times. And then, um, depending on how, like, I might get, a vocal, like a hook idea or like a lyrical idea. I'll go, okay, that's going to go there. And then I'll build something around a word or a sentence or like a phrase. And then from that, I'll probably flesh the idea outwards from, from there and then go, actually, um, I really like the story I'm telling in this verse better than the story I'm telling in this chorus. And although they work together, that they're not it's not right and then i will go away and perhaps the verse has now become the thing that the song's about and now i've got to go and change the chorus until until i've listened to it enough times and i can sit there and go and sing it to myself i go okay this is how this is how i I want it to sound and these are the words i want to use Mm -hmm. yeah so how do you decide on the specific sorry go ahead yeah i was about to say was i don't ever really write lyrics before i've heard music um Mm -hmm. because i think then that's like it could be like square peg round hole type thing right um there hasn't been many lyrics in the band's history that i've written in advance of hearing the song few notable exceptions songs like emperor illumination they have perhaps a verse that i've written or like a like an a b or a b a c a b a b rhyme or something like that that, I, that i've then got oh, i have something for this i have a thing for this but 99 out of 100 times it's been what when I'm listening to the music, how do I want to? How, what what story do I hear? How do I want to tell this story? Hmm. Right. And um, so yeah, when you 
go about kind of like uh, working out what the you know story of a particular song is going to be? How do you go about making that decision? Um, mostly these days, I just sort of write write the lyrics, record the demo, and then see see what the guys think. There's very very rare moments now when the guys will be like, "We don't like the lyrics at all," or "We don't like the story at all." Um, most of the time, it's just minor changes. But yeah, I'll, if if I like the way a chorus sounds, I'll be like, okay. It's kind of like telling the story from the middle. You know what I mean? Okay. Like someone, mm. someone's giving you act two of a, of a three-act movie and you're like, all right, how is this going to start and how am I going to draw this thing to an end? Because that I, I think you, you never really as a writer, or at least I never really as a writer, get you never get to pick where you drop in, where your brain goes, this is the moment, this is the first thing you're going to write for this song. It just happens. It just 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 happens out of nowhere. You listen to it and it might not be the first time you listen to it. It might be the fifth time you listen to it and you go... Okay, I'm going to put something there, and then you get an idea of a pattern, and then you go, okay, for me, it's very much okay. What can I, what can I rhyme with that in this pattern, or where can I slot a rhyming word in, or, you know, what, what is the message, and how can, because not all of my stuff rhymes, but what is the message, and how can I tell it in this space? You, you don't get to pick where that is. Like I guess it's like some books are, I don't know if books are written from the middle. But um, it's like someone's given you this middle of a book and it's like, okay, now you have to work out how it starts and how it ends. Okay. But it's so not someone can... else giving that. It's just your brain giving you yeah. that. Your brain's like, here's the middle. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so just to kind of confirm my understanding here, does that mean that like you can start with like, let's say like, you know, a few phrases or, um, you know, stanzas, if you like, that you, you know, really want to write and then kind of like work out from there and then decide from there what the song is actually going to be about? Is that yes. yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Like um, a specific example I can think of is Soul off Almagest, the take me back chorus. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing I wrote and it wasn't, to do with anything in particular and then as as it unfolded with the with the writing of that album that song wasn't originally meant to be for soul or the sun it was meant to be for another planet i can't remember which one um but that but in the in the roundup when we changed we changed the song order about a month before we were recording the damn thing and um so that became the song about the sun and then i had to I, don't, I didn't have lyrics for it, but I had to like rebuild the, my understanding of the song to be more solar. I guess that's mm. the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up being about like returning to nothing and like destruct, like destroying and taking you back to, to, to nothing. But that song started at the, in the, in the vocal hook in the chorus. And it came from take me back, back where I belong, which has nothing to do with the sun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just get, you just sometimes you have a moment and you're like, okay, this is how it's going to be with this song, I guess. Like you don't get a choice. If like in, in mainstream discussions of, of metal, there's often been kind of two critiques of the lyrics. Uh, one is that they're just, you know, brutal, gory uh, nonsense, which obviously for your lyrics, uh, that's not really something that we see a lot. There's not a lot of gore there. Uh, but the other one is that um, because of that, you know, there's been these quotes that get, Put around in magazines and stuff people say oh no you know i i distance myself from my lyrics i'm just kind of exploring ideas i'm just talking it's just like a horror movie kind of thing which has led to the critique that metal lyrics are i guess meaningless um and i'm just wondering with your lyrics do you find in telling these stories that you want to have some kind of like real life 
meaning or purpose, or are you kind of just interested in exploring uh, a narrative or a tale? Uh, I think it's both. I think you, like stories and fables and tales and those sorts of things at the start, like at the start of like, like talking were mainly for lessons, right? They were a way to either instill a memory or a lesson learned about, uh, you know, this is why we don't eat the purple bushes or whatever through to, this is what your grandfathers were doing, your ancestors were doing. So stories can have a lot of meaning. And I think I would prefer to think that my lyrics have meaning. Um, if someone said, oh, that's just meaningless. I mean, they're ignoring that there's been two albums and five EPs now all set within the same universe lyrically and, and and narratively so i'd like to think that there's meaning there otherwise like why, why would i set up characters and and uh settings they're not they're not for me my my music isn't arbitrary do i think lyrics have to have meaning to be good no evidenced by the pig squealing thing we were talking about earlier um but do i think my lyrics have meaning absolutely and 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 the meaning for me may not necessarily be the meaning for everybody who hears them either. Mm. Yeah. But there is and definitely the... a, uh, a sort of, we, I, get, I mean, I don't want to use the term real life. It seems corny. And, and I don't think that separating stories from real life is necessarily accurate, but um, if, if we can use that term for now, would you say that you would think that there's some kind of a, a real life or, or daily to, to our normal day, not our, you know, traveling out the sun meaning that you think of when you're writing your lyrics in addition to the wider story? Or is it something that sometimes you kind of discover through the process of writing? Um, I think, I'm not sure if I'm going to answer your question the, the right way here. So feel free to throw it at me again if I, if I don't give you the answer that's, that suits your question. But I think that I don't write lyrics to have a meaning. Like I don't write something for, okay, okay, okay this song, is meant to be sad or this song is meant to be angry. Like I, I, I write the lyrics to suit how I think the story in that song should be and how that story fits in the broader narrative. Um, and so if that, if they then in turn mean something to someone, then that, then mission accomplished, but also like, I'm not trying to force an emotion on people. You know what I mean? Hmm. Is that answer the question? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I'm not trying to create parables like for people to contemplate in moments of despair and go, this is so much like when Loki said, in the chambers of death, I await <laughs> you. Like I'm not, there's no epiphany for people listening to that stuff. It's, it's, it's not for like moments of quiet reflection. It's more about escapism and storytelling. But there is meaning in escapism and there's meaning in storytelling. So, mm. Well, the escapism theme seems to be one that often kind of coincides with a lot of comments about metal lyrics that, you know, include, uh, you know, lyricists saying that they take a lot of separation from their lyrics, as Wes was saying before. So I don't know, I suppose I'm getting the impression maybe that that's not necessarily the case for you. Like, do you feel that like there's a lot of like, you know, your own identity in your lyrics? I think my lyrics reflect my stories so in a way they're kind of like you know you know you learn stories of your ancestors and stuff and so maybe in a very people in a very abstract way can listen to my stuff and go i wonder what Lockie was happening to Lockie when he wrote these lyrics or i wonder i wonder what he was going through or i wonder what happened to him that morning or stuff like that um 
but it, in the same way that you that we tell the fables or the parables or whatever, um, it is kind of telling the story about yourself. So I, I find it very hard to distance myself from my lyrics. I very much own the things that I say in my lyrics um, because they're not at all controversial. So there's nothing to be worried about. A and B, they're they're really just stories. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I get 50-50 with people trying to remove themselves from their lyrics because it's like, well, you still wrote them, man. Like, do, <laughs> do, do I think... Do I think everyone who writes brutal, axe murdery, misogynistic lyrics are brutal, axe murder misogynists? No, the same way I don't think that everyone who directs, you know, escape films and horror movies are psychopaths and murderers. But there's, you have to be thinking a certain way to write those lyrics, right? Like, you, like you're not just like, today I'm going to be an axe murderer. Like, it doesn't work like that. I, at least, I don't think I find it very mm. hard to, I find it very hard to believe that that comes out of nowhere for people. Mm. It has to come from somewhere. Yeah. Does that answer the question? No, no, it does. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. Yes. I own, I own everything I say and I own everything I say in my personal life too. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't accept, I, I, I am unwilling to accept from most people that, Oh, but I was just, you know, it's like, the, oh, I'm just joking. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. yeah you just not want to get you just not want to get told off like someone's called you out anyway yeah, that's a comp that's a complicated sense. topic gets its own episode yeah. i reckon <laughs> Probably, you get all the yeah. past get you get all the past guests back on for a dinner party and we can hash that one out well it's actually been suggested oh, <laughs> oh yeah. really yeah Let's have like it. a focus group interview <laughs> <laughs> on a skate turn the dial to the left if this lyric offends you <laughs> <laughs> We're getting an overwhelming left-hand dial turn today. Um, well, you mentioned earlier that, you know, lyrics about raw Satan kind of aren't in your bag anymore. Uh, are you personally kind of not interested in, in lyrics that are extremely gory in, at this time in your phase as a, as a metal fan? Or is it something that you can still enjoy even if you kind of feel that it does come from a place that maybe you don't want to visit? Or I don't know, like... It just depends on what it's about. Like, if it's something, like, really, like, visceral and brutal and gory, like a cattle decapitation where it's, like, you know, global genocide that's and it's our own fault, like, okay, yeah, I can buy into that. That's very real and very raw, and he's not making it up, but do I necessarily get the same satisfaction out of songs that, I don't know. Let me, how am I trying to answer this question? Like, yeah, I, yeah. So sorry, there's like go, a stereotype of like a, a cannibal corpse song. No, I probably wouldn't these days. If someone released a cannibal corpse, like a hammer smash face or I come blood or something like that. <laughs> when I was 14, I was like, yeah, that's brutal. But now I'm like, whatever. Like <laughs> it's not as, it doesn't hit as hard. It might hit people outside the scene. Like, oh, I come blood. That's really gross. You guys are gross and heavy metal. And if they're like, you know, like entrails ripped from a virgin's cunt or whatever, like. It, it nah, it doesn't do it for me anymore. But like, if they're if they're singing those lyrics, but it's in a like a like a clever way vocally or uh, in a new way, then that could still be interesting. But it's interesting by virtue of the fact that the vocals are good rather than the lyrics. Like, mm. yeah, like if they're bleating or bringing out some like some like oh, I'm gonna make carnage of your guts and fuck them, but it sounds 
cool the way they've done it, then yeah, that's cool. But if it's just like someone going up, getting up, they're going, oh, I'm going to make cottage of your guts and fuck them. And it's like, okay, well, we've been doing that for 30 years. Like, it's can't that many, there can't be any, be that many guts left to make carnage at this point. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I suppose it's, it's kind of, I mean, it is kind of like the metal often gets compared to horror. And I guess in some ways it is. You can't just have like a, a generic slasher flick anymore and expect it to get. Exactly. Mm. That's exactly the metaphor. Um, you know, Mike Myers scared the hell out of people in the 80s. But, mm. you know, he's like, dun, dun, dun. like, I'll just run faster than him. No stress. Yeah. Um, in in the in the twenties, we're like, oh, why would you run upstairs? There's no phones upstairs. I'll just get my mobile phone out. Like, it's the same. Whereas now they've got to find really, really, really spooky new ways to spook you. Uh, interesting, you mentioned that the, the 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 similarity is horror movies are scarier now than they used to be for everybody because they've had to find not. There's less stuff that scares us. And in the mm. same period, they had the um, like there was the period where they just started ramping up the gore. You know, when you get into, like the uh, the hostile kind of thing. And it seems like that's kind of died out too. Like it, it had its brief, you know, explosion of like, oh, look at how gory these horror movies are now. But now it's kind of like, oh, god, it's another gory horror movie. Yeah, I think the whole, the cool thing about the hostel though was the the concept was like awesome. Like the abduction, the against the will abduction concept coupled with the amplified gore is what made that like. And it was very real. And I think that's what was scary about the hostel films is that's a very real prospect for a lot of a people be particularly women in those sorts of countries where human life mm. is valueless and women's lives are even more valueless. Perfect example. Perfect example. Mm. Uh, so that's a very real scary thing. And that's why it's scary as opposed to like some psycho rising from the dead in a mask with a kitchen knife that you can run mm. faster than like, okay, good on your mic. But the hostel <laughs> hostel made people think about rethink traveling to the middle East. Halloween didn't make, people rethink traveling to middle america yeah mm. but even with the hostel stuff like uh, when you got to like you know not, i mean there was no actual hostel 10 but uh the, the 10th or 20th hostel ripoff yeah that idea it's been done kinda, before yeah. yeah 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 it's like that so they've got to find new ways to scare the shit out of us like i'm trying to think of the last film i watched that scared the hell out of me i'm not allowed to watch scary films at home so uh, there, there was moments of few and far between um but I think the last one was I call I call it getting double fucked, and I think this works lyrically as well. Where um, if something jump scares me or spooks me, I will go oh fuck! Like that's my natural reaction <laughs> to those moments. And there was a film I think it was Amityville Horror about six years ago, and um, something bursts out of like a garage shelving, and you go ah oh, fuck! And then they turn to look at a mirror, and there's nothing there. And then this is within about twenty seconds or ten seconds of that first moment. They look in the mirror, and nothing's there. They turn around, of course, the things there. Uh, and they give you the string sound, and it's like, ah, oh, double fuck. I actually said out loud, ah, oh, double fuck, like you know, <laughs> like a loony tune, like ah, oh, shucks, ah, oh, double shucks. Like it was like that, except I was scared out of my fucking skin. <laughs> so yeah, and I guess that's the the thing lyrically now is like, if you're gonna be brutal, you have to really take it over the top, or if you're gonna be like clever, it's it's harder to be clever now because a lot of stuff's been done. Mm. Beyond just like, I suppose, like it being done, are we just, I suppose, within the metal scene specifically, um, I suppose a little bit less like sensitive to things like gore, um, you know, murder, um, you know, grotesque imagery and that kind of thing as well? I don't know, maybe. Like I had a, 
my partner's friend came to our show and she's like, yeah, I'm a metalhead. And she, we got up there and she's like, ah, the music's great. I just don't like the screaming. And I'm like, but you just said you were a metalhead. So I think metalhead means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, Mm. despite our understanding of it, because we have a very common understanding of what being a metalhead is. Um, but it's still very different, different ways of, of expressing, experiencing, understanding metal. Um, so do I think metalheads broadly are, less um worried by those topics maybe but then i also thought metalheads broadly wouldn't be bothered by screaming but they are so Mm. who knows Mm. i can't make a judgment call for all of heavy metal i do think heavy metal fans universally are better at dealing with difficult topics full stop whether for better or worse but um yeah do i think we're immune to it do i think the gore doesn't gross people out There'll be people who grosses out. The Satan stuff will turn some normal metalheads will be like, ah, oh, it's about Satan. I don't like that stuff, even if they're not particularly religious. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, this actually a- relates to like another question that we were going to ask about, uh, you know, particular subgenres of metal, because you know you're saying that there's so many different kinds of like metalheads and what it means to you know uh, like metal music can mean different things to different people, and you know mm-hmm. some of this can you know, come from just simple subgenre variation. So have you noticed, I suppose, any lyrical practices that are specific to particular subgenres? Yeah. I think every subgenre has its own peculiarities. I think that thrash singers, for the most part, are infinitely interchangeable. And I think that's what people seek in that music is consistency of speed and consistency of sound because they really, really like what they hear. And that's fine. Do I think death metal vocals have been getting progressively lower and grosser in the last 20 years? Absolutely. I think that's now a hallmark of new death metal is how gross and dissonant can I make this sound, both vocally and musically. Um, And black metal, I think, I don't know, there's so many combinations, permutations of black metal now. It's like fucking... It could be anything. Like even the DSBM, ah, like that's got its that's got its own appeal. Um, even if it's just a dude shrieking, like it's I guess it's you know it hasn't been done yet. So off you go. So so what was the question? I sort of was rambled. In terms of like lyrical content as well, I was wondering. So you know you've talked about like kind of vocal. Styles, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Thrash. Uh, for me, thrash is very like warry. Like whenever I think of thrash, I'm like, "You're gonna die! We're gonna kill you!" Like that sort <laughs> of stuff. And then black metal is, you know, I guess it's 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 gone two ways. It's either very natural and earthy and singing about the natural world or the tales of our forefathers type stuff, or it's fucking suicidal, like sad and suicidal. I don't think there's many people in the black metal world um, doing anything outside of those two spaces and if they are it's the better stuff is outside those two spaces like like satiricon's last album was just uh i i personally took away from a lot of that about um satir's like brain tumor and stuff i was like this whole album's about him like maybe dying that's how i perceive it i I haven't Mm -hmm. heard anything from him to suggest that um but like so things like people dealing with personal issues and stuff is is i guess becoming black metal is becoming more introverted and personal and than being about raging against the outside world. And I'd say that's been a major shift in the last 10 years. There's still the, you know, the Temple of Satan guys out there doing their thing and rocking the pentagram and good on them. Like, 
you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for like being that and owning that and knowing who you are. But at the same time, like, I think outside of the satanic stuff, yeah, it's gone a lot more inward. Um, Are there geographic differences you noticed? Is there anything in the Australian scene that you think is particular that you don't see outside? I wish I was more educated on the underground in other countries because it would be harder for me to say that Australia has the best underground bands, but I firmly believe that we have some of the best underground bands in the world. Um, and I think that's something that they have in common. In terms of lyrics and vocals, um, I don't know. I always find it very interesting when I listen to Australian doom bands and Australian prog bands that have clean singers or um, some black metal bands that have clean singing elements. For some reason, they always sound, if it's like like technical progressive metal, um, they all sound like the guy from Dream Theater. And if they're progressive black metal, they all have a very European sound. Um, with it, like It's always unusual to me hearing and I, this comment has been made of me as well. When I'm up there screaming, I scream in, a, I guess, what could be said a very European way. And then when I do my talking in between, I talk with a very thick Australian accent. How are you going? Fuck you. Uru, that sort of stuff. And then I go straight back to that very European sounding screaming. It's the same with the singing. Um, but for some reason, we adopt a, a European tone and pronunciation when we, when we sing clean singing metal in Australia. I get that, that's at least what I've noticed. There's no, there's no, like hilltop hoods in hip hop are notoriously Australian because they sound Australian. And it's one of the things that really turns me off about them is because they're, hey, you going, we're going down the street and we're getting like, no, don't, doesn't do it for me. Um, it doesn't feel like the real thing. And I think that's why a lot of Australian metal bands don't sing in Australian accents because it doesn't sound like the real thing. Can that's, you... Oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. That, that's my perception of it. And I think the, the, Ocker bands, like say the Chats or the Smith Street band that have like heavily Australian accents, they have to be heavily Australian subject material, like the Chats or the Smith Street band or the Hilltop Hoods in order for it to feel authentic. Otherwise, it doesn't feel authentic. Can you scream in an accent though? Uh, I don't know if it's about accents hard. Tone might be the better word for it. But I think when you listen to stacks and stacks of bands over time and you know where they're from, you can pick who's from Europe and who's from America in screaming. Absolutely. And even in like growling, like the low brutal stuff, maybe not with pig squeals. Cause I think pigs sound the same universally, but in terms of like, like that sort of stuff, like maybe not the gross noises either. I think that's very universal, but the way they say words, you can you can often tell if they come from a if you want to call it the European school or the American school. Um, in terms of the the Asian stuff, I mean it's 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 got its own flavour tonally, but I guess that it'll it's like us in the sense that it'll, I always borrow from either one or the other tonally. The way it sounds to me, it, and you'll hear this from a lot of people musically, and I think vocally, they'll say, "Oh, it sounds very European," or "Oh, that sounds very American." You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. again like how about in terms of like lyrical content across these contexts that's a tough one i think genre to genre that's where it changes so like it's i don't know i, I never really bought into like 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 australian black metal 
like being anti-Christian and stuff is just a very European idea. Like, cause like we're from there and we're, we, most of our ancestors, at least when we came to Australia would have been white Christians. So it's like rebelling again. They didn't really trounce our culture or anything. Cause we, when we came here, we were them. Like, mm-hmm. whereas I think black metal's roots for me, and I guess for most people's understanding of it is, is it's in out with the Christian invaders. We're going back to the old ways. Right. So really like, if there was like an indigenous black metal band, Australian indigenous black metal band, that would be really authentic. But Hmm. because we've borrowed from that Northern European repel the invaders mentality of Northern European black metal in the nineties, then yeah, I guess it doesn't feel as real. Um, A great example of that is a band like Nokokwan from North America. They're like North Americans and they tell North American indigenous tales in their lyrics. And that feels really authentic because they're singing about kicking the kicking you know the pilgrims out and kicking the asses of the foreign invaders who are trying to take over there. Like that's really black metal, right? Isn't it? It's rebelling against the <laughs> oppressor, one way or another. Whether the oppressor is you know Sky Monster or the the bloke down the road who's demanding prima nocti or whatever it might be, that's really authentic black metal experience. So I think it's very hard to be authentically black metal in Australia because we're rebelling against ourselves. It's kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. And I think that's, I guess, where you bring it back to my stuff. I, that's why I don't think about those things. So I don't have any connection to those things. Um, mm. do, so the hallmarks of, what are the hallmarks of Australian death metal lyrics? I don't know. They kind of all, like death metal kind of blends together and runs together. And it's like, it's either gory or it's like, it's about ending the world or whatever. I think they're very universal themes. I don't think there's any death or black, metal bands or progressive metal bands out there singing about the Pilbara or singing about, you know, the, the dream time or singing about a particularly uniquely Australian thing. So it's kind of homogenous with wherever those bands draw their inspiration from rather than being anything uniquely Australian. There are some exceptions to the rule. Obviously I'm unable to name them in the metal sphere, but I'm sure they're out there, but a lot of, a lot of them tend to follow lyrically, at least in my experience, a trend, either an American trend or a European trend. Hmm. Yeah. What about, I mean, you have a lot of um, uh, connections to Japan, given that you run the uh, Great Wave Touring Company, uh, and you've toured in Japan a number of times. Has uh, being active in the Japanese scene changed the way that you approach your music or the way that you write your lyrics and engaging with their music and their lyrics? I know like a lot of them do write in English. Mm. The the Japanese scene is awesome. I've seen bands that sing in English and do things vocally or lyrically that I would go, oh, that's really clever, like we talked about earlier. But then they come off stage and they can't speak a lick. They mm. cannot speak a lick of English. And so you wonder how much of that is um, nurture and the content they consume and the things they listen to lyrically and they just imitate. But Japan's an interesting one. I think any – and I say this to people all the time – when, I, when they come to Japan or when I t- when they ask me to tell them about it, if there is an Australian band that you have heard of, there is a Japanese band that you haven't heard of that's doing it better. Um, <laughs> they have the best, like, like there's just something about them. Something about the bands, they, they work hard, harder than we do. Their crews are more, their amateur crews are more professional than our amateur crews. They're, amateur production stuff like the, like all of the venues over there have an in-house guy who comes with the venue when you book it right and he's that pa is like his baby it's his 
He knows the ins and outs of it. He knows, you know, he could tell you the date and time he affixed a certain piece of tape to a cable. That like that's how like it's their it's their thing. And their bands are the same. Has has my experience over there changed the way I approach my own music lyrically? No. Are they doing anything uh, interesting or new? Yes. They're owning a lot of it. I find that some of the best Japanese bands are the ones that are unapologetically Japanese. Like they will do, they'll sing about their own histories rather than adopting like we have singing about European histories, which is our history. But it, like, again, I, I, I refer back to kicking out the Christian invaders who, by the way, is us. Doesn't make sense. Um, whereas there it's like they're singing about, you know, like Sengoku Jidai or they're singing about their ghost stories and their mm parables mm. whatever their you know the their whatever the japanese equivalent of the poetic edders is or the bible or what they that's their thing and i think that's why some of the stuff they do is quite interesting because they have their own source material they don't have to borrow from us they might borrow from us stylistically or they might borrow from other scenes musically or or, or whatever but like source material lyrically they've got a wealth of their own stuff that they can use same as the chinese another great example like a zuriake or whatever like they have their own um their own source material that they use the who is another example the Mm. mongolian who not the who who. oh yeah 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 and they've got their own folk legends that they use in their music um and so yeah i guess that's inspiring i wish more australian bands I'm guilty of this too, but then my band doesn't sing about any of those things. We make up our own stories. I wish more Australian bands would throw themselves behind understanding our history better and and and, and writing lyrics about those sorts of things. Mm. Instead of borrowing, we're, we're borrowing a lot of our themes. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about like some of the stories that you've been telling in your songs. So like across like, you know, most of your releases, there's obviously the kind of theme of, base um as a, or you know as a source of source material if you like yeah um so what um motivated you to discuss this as your kind of core theme across all of these releases i think pretty much everyone in the original lineup of fiber nightmares is uh, either like a high fantasy or sci-fi inspiration um mm-hmm. and i think the characters that we created inadvertently on the self-titled release um just lent themselves more to sci-fi than they did to fantasy i mean the Killing Fields is very grounded in like reality war, you know, trench warfare type stuff. Mm-hmm. And what it means to die is uh, not what it means to die. More not the dead. That's very, vi- it's obviously a very Viking song, but the others are a lot more sci-fi. Um, you're singing about the stars, singing about space or singing about being teleported around by a giant crystal tower. Um, I think that's where the origin of our, of our themes that that's where we started. We're all, we're all heavily into those those universes like high fantasy or science fiction. And I think, yeah, the science fiction just stuck more through to the ages where, again, it was like it was borrowing from from esoteric Hindu concepts of the yugas and stuff, but it still had a very sci-fi application in that there was, you know, the continuity of the obelisk being the great resetter of things and various characters that had appeared on the self-titled EP. Um, coming back in one way or another lyrically in the ages. Um, I think it just, from there, naturally became more and uh, more and more science fiction. And then now it's, 
it's not, I wouldn't say it's shifting the other way. I think now that we've set the landscape and created the cinematic universe, if you like, we've got a lot more freedom now because I don't have to say laser or space for people to go, this is a song about space because we've already set the tone. Um, yeah. Uh, like bands who, some bands have to go out there and say, this record is about this uh, and it's set in these in these times or whatever. Uh, whereas we don't have that problem because we've already created our universe and whatever we choose to do within that universe doesn't need to really be explained. Like it's always going to be, ah, oh, it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, there's a line in the Sims where it's wizard did it whenever they can't come up with a continuity error or something went wrong or something. Like, wizard did it. Wizard did it. Um, for us, it's like space did it. Like it's just many universes and whatever. So you can kind of get away with murder really. We've had a few people mention, um, that some of their lyrics have been really influenced by fantasy or sci-fi or uh, video games kind of set in those or novels. Uh, just curious, what do you think the influence of, I guess what you call kind of nerdy stuff has been on metal lyrics? Do you think it's uh, a lot of people that grew up in, you know, in kind of the, the fantasy reading books, playing those kind of games are now metal musicians. Is that a common path that you've seen? I don't know if they're metal musicians, but they're definitely people who listen to heavy metal either a lot or a little. Um, I think, a lot of that goes along with being a bit different and a bit of an outcast. Um, you know, those, when you're a kid, those activities aren't seen as particularly cool or useful or relevant reading. I mean, reading. Yeah. But like playing board games, role playing and stuff, that's not cool when you're a kid. And I guess people our age now joke about it. <laughs> we're so cool. We're role playing, but it's like kind of, well, we are like really cool because we're creating universes and, and living in them with our friends. Like, you don't get to do that every day. It's kind of like playing God in a way. Being a dungeon master is kind of like playing God. Hmm. So that's really powerful and really cool. Whereas when you're a kid, it's like, eh, you're a nerd. Um, and I think, yeah, that pushes people away and they, they look for other outcasts and heavy metals are really good, really good starting point. You know, it's people on the outer rebelling against a system or an idea at least that's how it comes across. Like bands like System of a Down and Slipknot, where it's all angry and anti-system and Wah, the government's going to kill us all and I'm angry. And it's really easy to relate to that when you're on the outer and you're angry, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I am angry. Yeah, like I still go back to Iowa when I'm angry because it's the most angry album of all time, any genre, full stop. All right, Slipknot's Iowa. Um, so, yeah, I think naturally people who are outcasts when they were kids who continue to be kind of, I, I, I don't know. I don't like to use the word outcast now anymore because it's like, there's so many nerds mm. who play these, like it's kind of, it's kind of vogue to play board games now. Yeah. Um, mm. Is that going to stop me? No. Um, because I don't do it because it's vogue or not. I do it because it's something I really love and I've loved for a very long time. Um, but I think, yeah, kids who are on the outer often dive into, universes wherever they can find them that aren't their universe and that can be board games stories or music for me it was video games and music that's how i escaped my i had a pretty i had a pretty great childhood i'm not saying i was like trying to get out you know like i had a really great childhood supportive parents great school good friends still friends with all my friends from school like i had a really really great childhood not complaining but your hormones and your puberty and your whatever make you mm. feel like you at the time you have, you've got, you know, oh, this is the worst. That's what sent me down those paths is trying to escape and get out, I guess. Um, whether I realized yeah. it then or not. When you're writing um, your own kind of space universe, uh, I guess dungeon mastering in your lyrics in a way, perhaps uh, is how do you, 
uh, find and choose spacey vocabulary and, and words? Like, how do you, uh, when you need to describe space, planets, uh, travel, how do you find the words to do so? Uh, a lot of the time, I, f I, I imagine what it would be like to look at or touch that thing. Sounds crazy, but if I'm trying to describe a planet, I think about its color, its size. Um, do I think it feels soft or hard? Do I think it feels cold or hot? Does it feel smooth or jagged? It, it's a really weird, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. You, you choose the, the language or the themes based on how, for me, it's like a texture thing. Like lyrics and vocals have texture and stories have texture. They have layers. Movies have layers, you know. Uh, subplots, all those sorts of things, and describing those things also has texture. Drink of the Waters off of the Obelisk album that came out the year before last. Maybe it was last year. It was the year before last. Um, or maybe it was two years ago now. What year are we in? Where, where am I? Um, Drink of the Waters, I was thinking about, like, this character who's, who's been running away and he's lost, and the cool glowing water seemingly beckoning to drink. Glowing because it's kind of sci-fi, and then he's he wants to drink because he's like parched and he's he, he's parched from his journey. Is it water or is it knowledge? Is it water or is it acceptance? Is it water or is it freedom or freedom from loneliness or belonging? Up to you. But he's parched for it and it's sticking out at him like dog's balls. So it's glowing. You can see it. It's like, oh, there it is. You know, like when you're playing a video game and you press like Diablo and you press alt and the thing that you want glows on the ground and you can get it. Like that, right? Like it, like it pops out at you. Bam. And then it puts him to sleep because he's got what he wanted. And he wakes up and he goes, holy shit, there's the, big, there's the big glowing thing over there. And it's calling to me. So it feels cold regardless of what it is. It feels warm, but why am I still cold? Like, So you feel like this glowing thing is going to be hot, but it's really quite – it's just not. And so is that that it's not quite what he expected? It's not what he – he thought it's what he wanted, but it's not. Um has he overindulged and now it's not as satisfying as it once appeared to be. So you use words like hot and cold, or at least I use words like hot and cold because that's just how my brain sees those lyrics. Sees those lyrics sound so weird. Sometimes I wonder if like I hear about people who listen to music and see colors or um, see numbers as colors, that sort of thing. I wonder if sometimes I hear lyrics or as colors or, or, or like I wish I could turn lyrics into food. Does that make sense? Yeah, synesthesia kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I like, if I have a particularly crunchy word or something, it sounds so bizarre. I'm saying it out loud, but yeah, like that. I guess that's why I choose the words I choose. Um, and glowing's like a classic, you know, sci-fi trope. Something's glowing. It's kind of out of spacey, like Tron or a spaceship or radioactive goo or whatever. That's a that's a sci-fi trope. Um, being stranded alone on a distant moon is a sci-fi trope, but does that mean that he that the character has been abandoned? Does that mean that he's left on purpose? Does that mean he had a plan and it's gone wrong and now he's stuck? Um, could mean anything realistically. From a sci-fi perspective, he's lost on a distant moon. Um, that could also be lost in the desert, lost in the jungle, um, lost in the sh in, in Mordor, on the way to chuck the ring in the in the volcano or whatever, like. That, I guess that's where I go with that sort of stuff. So that's how I make those decisions is what, what, what sounds 
It doesn't have to sound spacey to be science fiction, but what sounds science fiction but can be anything because there's no right answer to our... You, I'm not. Ex, I'm expecting you to walk away with something, but I don't know what it is. And I don't think a lot of... Like, a lot of people... Uh, my favourite thing to do is to ask people what they think I meant and no one ever says the same thing, ever. Um, and that's really satisfying because a lot of the time I write it and I don't even know what I mean or what I meant. <laughs> What about when you're talking about um, uh, mythological characters? Like in, in uh, Almagest, you have a clear focus on kind of Roman mythological beliefs. Was there anything you did in preparation to talk about uh, Roman mythology or? Yeah. So the, the source material for Almagest was Ptolemy's uh, Almagest. I think I'm sorry. Oh God, I hope I'm saying that right because I've been pushing that album for years. Um and the original concept and source material for that was researched by our then bass player, Hell Winter, a.k.a. John Trofimilk. Um And he provided the source material and said, okay, so, you know, this is, this is the, how the tracks could work. And this is how the, this, this, this song is about Venus and Venus was the God of this and had these characteristics. So this song is about Mercury and Mercury was the God of this and had these characteristics. And then I went away and did my own reading as well. Cause there's a few that everything in there, you're absolutely nailed it on the head. It's quite Roman, but there's also some uh, Vedic concepts in there. I've always been big on Eastern esotericism and Eastern mythology. Um, so there's some Vedic stuff in there. There's some Greek stuff in there. There's a little bit of Egyptian stuff in there. And and for that particular release, it was it was Hellwinter who came came up with the source material, and we did a whole bunch of research and reading about it before we sort of put pen to paper. And I had a great I had a great source document to draw inspiration from for those lyrics and themes. And so, why did you land on like Roman mythology specifically? Why did that kind of uh, seem to blend well with this space theme? It's a that's a tough one. I think the story of the the pilgrim is like a it's like a universal story right so it's some something happens to someone and they have to go on a quest for uh, like a like a, an item or a reason and this character's quest is to understand um and it just so happens that they're well it's up to the listener to what they are. Are they a robot? Are they a human? Are they a robot who thinks they're human? Are they a dead person? Has somehow the robot died, but its spirits lived on a thousand different ways to, you know, to skin a cat. And I think the, just that model of the, the, the source material is so rich because all the gods had planets and all the gods were responsible for certain things and had certain aspects and appeared in certain ways. And so telling a story about uh, characters journey to understanding um, is really easy when you look at it from all those different lenses. Like this is the angry war God and this is the beautiful, you know, vanity God. And this is the hasty introverted God, all those sorts of things. Like you, you get a, maybe this is where the introversion in our black metal comes in. Maybe just realize my own, my own shit um, is that when you look at your a journey through all those different lenses, it helps you get that understanding. And it's easier when you have, characters to do that around like the planets or the gods or whatever mm. yeah well it's interesting that there's like you know this overlap in the themes that you've drawn from roman mythology uh and those aspects of the sci-fi genre that you were talking about before seem to kind of overlap and intersect uh, in interesting ways with a lot of common themes that appear in other metal lyrics you know like death darkness um war and the esoteric 
Um, I suppose, is this connection something that you've, uh, I suppose, tried to foster or is it just kind of an unintentional byproduct of those like combination of themes? I think it just sort of happens. Um, you never really, uh, you, I'm never really going out of my way to make something sound particularly metal. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, the, the thing about Almagest was it's a, it's a concept of the solar system. So to, to transfer a concept about how the stars are arranged to a sci-fi narrative is super easy, right? Because it's literally about space. We're making a, a space album about the way people thought space was a while ago. Mm. Um, so I didn't really have to force it into a sci-fi context because it was already kind of there. But then I did have to take the elements of esotericism and, and those other things to make it more science fiction or more narrative, but does that necessarily mean it's more heavy metal? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe mm. you could get the same message out in a children's storybook or a Bible or a, or a folk album, a pop album. I mean, probably wouldn't sell a lot of copies, but like <laughs> the core of that story is universal. So I don't think it's unique to heavy metal. Mm. Mentioning uh, a number of times so far, kind of that you don't particularly care about whether or not, people think the lyrics are metal uh, or like trying to make the lyrics metal. And we noticed, um, you know, uh, in reading your lyrics, there's a lot of words that aren't, you know, not, not words you'd use in your day-to-day -day life, but compared to some of the other people that we've interviewed, uh, we didn't have any words that like me or Jess had to look up. Uh, like, you know, there, there's things that we wouldn't use in, in normal conversation, but it seems like you didn't go out of your way to find like a, a really, really difficult vocabulary that the average reader would have trouble understanding. Uh, or, you know, maybe words you would all, yourself gone out to look up, except uh, in some song titles and album titles like like Al, uh, Almagest. But I was wondering, is is this something that has been conscious? Have you tried to make your lyrics uh, Absolutely. Guess, accessible? Yeah, absolutely. Catholicism ruled for a very long time because only certain people could read the Bible. And that meant they could tell you what it meant and what you should do about it. And then that all came crashing down when it was made into English and anyone could read it right mm. that gave the new authority power that power was given to a monarch rather than a theocratic leader i mean she's still a theocratic leader but it's not a spiritual head of faith it's like a like a temporal it's a temporal head of faith it's a person by inheritance who becomes the head of the church the anglican church rather than you know i will just vote for the oldest asshole um and i guess for me it was like like I could, you know, some people get off on sounding smarter than other people and fuck that. Like uh, if you're trying to, if you're trying to tell a story, why make the story only for some people? There's something very humbling about people of all walks of life hearing you and th hearing what they think you meant. I, I really hated having to go and look up. Well, cause I have to do it sometimes. And when I was younger, I had to do it more frequently trying to work out what a word meant in a lyrical context because it's like are they just using that to like i speak english every day and i never use this word why does this norwegian forest bastard have to use this word is he trying to sound smart or cool and so i think i deliberately avoid that wherever possible and try to keep things sim not simple yeah simple because more people can enjoy it that way you know um, I, I really worship Immovable Gear as a band, but they use a whole bunch of words that they could use other words for, and they get the same meaning across. Um, it's just more people maybe would pick up on it. It doesn't sound quite as noble or quite as victorious if you're not using big flowery words. You mentioned, uh, I, I guess, like this is maybe 
obvious because it's the music that you enjoy, but uh, there is maybe perhaps a slight contradiction in the idea of trying to make music that is kind of accessible to everyone, but also playing extreme metal. Yeah, there is. I think um, I make, we, I make, I make, Hybrid Nightmares makes music that we would like to listen to. And I think all bands, like, not all bands, some bands go, oh, I make music to sell records. And that's fine too. Like, people want the different things out of music. Um, I think that the way I like to tell stories, the medium in which I like to convey meaning is heavy metal. Mm. Um, and so although uh, although my lyrics are for everyone and our music is for everyone, that doesn't mean everyone will enjoy it. So I see what you mean. There's a contradiction between trying to make the lyrics accessible, but it's not really... I guess it's more like if you want to, it's there. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, you know, doing a radio-friendly album about the Hindu Yugas. It doesn't... I mean, again, we talked about selling might sell records, but that's the only reason you do it. That might not be the only reason you do it that way. Maybe there's a very good reason to do it that way. I don't know. I make the music simple so that if people want to want to um, experience it through heavy metal, they can. And they're probably going to have the same experience, whether I use big words or little words, um, because they're getting the story out of it. You know what I mean? They're, 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 they're learning the characters and the universe and the, their understanding of the character's experience or their own experiences, whether I use the word I won or I was triumphant. That's a very basic example, but like, you know, the, the same, same meaning, right? Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, it's kind of interesting that uh, I noticed in the lyrics of Alma Jazz, for instance, there's like some, uh, if not uncommon or difficult vocabulary, there is some certainly more archaic writing. Um, you know, for instance, through the use of the second person singular pronoun the in place of the more modern you. Uh, so why did you decide to integrate this kind of style into the lyrics from Alma Jest? So the story in Alma Jest can be viewed in two time periods. And we did that on purpose and were never definite about which it was or which it wasn't. And one could be in a very clockwork Galilean, uh, you know, middle Europe where an inventor in his workshop at the back of the brewery in the small country town has finally brought his clockwork man to life. Or it could be viewed, and so there's the, the something as well as like, will rise in the maker meet. Like the maker, you'd never use that that word of, that order of words in mm. normal mm. conversation these days, but that, you know, harkens back to that era, I guess, of writing. That said, it's also very fantastical to write that way because high fantasy is kind of set in middle Europe, but ma more magical. And the these and the thous are, are fantastic, I guess, fantastical words. And so they let you escape from reality. And perhaps you're looking into the future, into a, into a science fantasy, a science fiction, uh, where, a, you know, a crazed Rick and Morty uh, Rick style character has created an automaton man and the cyber police are coming to get it. Like, I think that's why we did it is to try and pull it out of reality a little bit, um, mm. make it more, more unreal. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so why did you start, you decide to kind of move away from that in the more recent album obelisk? I think it's just what sounded, you know, when I was listening to the song and I took my moment, Alma just is as an album is a story, right? So it has a, a beginning, a middle and an end. Obelisk is a collection of songs set within 
uh, a universe. So where where Almagest is a lot, it's like a movie, right? Whereas mm-hmm. clone like Obelisk is more like Black Mirror, where it's distinct individual stories set in the same kind of universe, seen through different lenses. You know, the, the songs on that Drink of the Waters is high sci-fi. Star Fortress, straight up sci-fi. It's about a, it's a, it's about a bloody fortress that orbits a star. It couldn't be more so. It's full on Warhammer 40k, right? Couldn't mm. be more science fiction than that. The Mystic is a bit more fantasy, and then uh, Ex Mortis is straight up warfare. Like goes back to Killing Fields, trench warfare stuff. Caving heads in creeping through the night but i think because we've set uh, and we talked about this earlier we've established mm. the narrative we established that it's a science fiction thing you can sort of like hear those stories however you like within that universe i think you don't have big and because they are individual i think the words vignettes maybe that's the right word mm. they're vignettes you don't have to make them time period specific mm-hmm. and so you, your language doesn't for me at least didn't have to reflect that it was set at a certain time or you were supposed to feel a certain way about it you just took from it what you wanted, you know? We were actually going to ask um, uh, about your use of the first-person pronoun I as well, but you've kind of touched on this and the number of characters and that you jump between between the stories. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious, is I ever you? Yeah, it can be. I think it's probably a, an aspect of myself that I'm telling through, a, through looking at through a lens or telling through a character, yeah. I think my best example of that, and I think it's one of my favorite lyrics I ever wrote was the tail end of Mercury, which is in these dark places, I see myself as a mirror for the world. Mm. It's absolutely me singing that, even though it's told from the perspective of the pilgrim and like, um, you know, passing the torch, gaining the knowledge and, and seeing the worst aspects of humanity. That's, that's kind of where Mercury comes from the tail end there. Um, I was absolutely singing about myself. I can't remember where or when I wrote that, um, but yeah, that was me singing about me, without a doubt. It, is is it ever meant to be me in the song? Not really. Loki as a character, I guess, doesn't exist in that universe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. But he's control. He's like, yeah, you said it right. He's the dungeon master. He's controlling the monsters. Mm. Right. It's interesting yeah. that even like within the same song, I noticed that you sometimes like shift between character perspectives. It seems. Um, like in Terra, for instance, like it seems like it's not necessarily just one voice being represented. Mm. Um, like, you know, if we look at lines like to the outskirts of the village, bury him and his monster alive. And following that, why do they bury us? Why are we sentenced? Yeah. And when you listen back to that as well, for the listeners at home, if you want to go, that's track two off Almagest or one off Almagest. One? Terra. Yeah. What, Terra. Yeah. I wasn't sure if we had an intro. It's been so long. I was saying to myself the other day in preparation for this, I'm like, fuck, I haven't listened to Alma Justin so long from cover to cover. That is definitely, especially with Terror, we use different voicings for, in that story, different characters. So the mid-tone is for the inventor. The high tone is for, I guess, if you want to look at it, like the Inquisitors or the Invaders or the Interrupters. And then right. the... Um, the Sorry, the low tones for the inventor and the mid tones for the pilgrim. And then because the pilgrim shifts to the focus for the rest of the album, the mid tones, the main line for the rest of the album. That's interesting just because, you know, a lot of other like songs that do feature that kind of storytelling tend to, um, you know, adopt either like a third person perspective uh, or they just use a very consistent like character perspective, like, you know, from a single um, persona throughout, Mm. you know, an entire album, particularly in the case of concept albums. I think in our minds when we wrote that and even writing 
obelisk as well uh, obelisk as well we went to go going oh it'll be great because you can do this voice and you can do this voice and i'll do the main vocal because that's my job and even on, <laughs> and even on obelisk we we're like oh well that's a great place for duxy to do this or a great place for johnny to do that and even into the next album which we're working on at the moment it's like oh johnny can do this bit on the album and live um and we always have these great intentions of having different people voice different um aspects or characters or whatever like many great bands do that um Mm -hmm. but we've never really followed through on it well enough for it to be like oh i get it he's one person and he's the other we've never really followed through on it as well as i think we'd like to think we have one thing that kind of surprised me that's missing from your lyrics is we we talked about a few things that you've kind of avoided talking about such as gore but um you know I've, i've known you for a while and even in this interview uh You've used a, a couple of curse words, uh, but I noticed they're they're basically absent entirely from your lyrics. Is that something you intentionally feel like you avoid when you're um, writing? I don't know. I use a lot of curse words in my day-to-day life. I swear a lot. I'm very – I'm a vulgar person. I don't say like – like, you know, I just swear a lot um, more than I should – if you like i don't know if there's a like i don't know if there's like a like like a bing we've reached maximum swearing meter <laughs> or whatever but I, jess is known there is jess has known me 15 16 years yeah. and she'll tell you i've always been a swearer um there's an authenticity to swearing because it's like you know you're being unabashedly you when you're swearing or at least when i am i'm not masking anything um i think when you're telling a story and you're trying to convey meaning in you don't necessarily have to swear to make something vulgar or gross or confronting or to make people stand up and pay attention and so you can choose i I don't ever choose not to swear i never go oh well we can't we can't say fuck in this song Um, they'll never play that on the radio You know, I don't have, I'm not Cardi B. I don't have to have two versions of my songs. Great song, by the way. I just. Is it, wait, it WAP? Just, WAP, yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, I, <laughs> wasn't, I wasn't sure which song, but yeah, yeah. Well, there's plenty. Does, there's, that, does she's that have a censored some, version? Yes. Oh. And, and, and it's like, you... and when she gets to the bit where she's like, I want to gag, I want to choke, I want to whatever. It's like, I want to, I want to, I want to, mm, I want to, eh. that's literally how they say I would have parked that little Mac truck right in this big old, like there's a full on, like she had to say like, like there's not much left in the song. When you listen to the radio friendly one, there's not a lot left from the top. Make it drop. That's a whip. That's a whip. That's the lyric, right? That's the chorus. Um, yeah. As opposed to wet ass pussy. Like, the only um, it was like, like something's missing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's something missing. <laughs> this, this isn't nearly as controversial as they made it out to be. You're just saying that's some wet. That doesn't mean anything. Um, so back to the task at hand. Uh, no, I never go out of. I'm never like, oh, we can't have that. Um, I have sworn on a few songs. I can't tell you which ones. There's about two or three. Um, funnily enough, Ben, uh, is the one who does the ASIC uploads and the you know, gets it to the distributor, get on the internet, and he goes, now, Lockie, which songs have swearing in them? And I'm sitting there going, now is the time my creation could be. This one, that has a swear word, and I think I said shit at some point in that song. Um, 
So answer first answer to your second question. No, I don't go out of my way to to to, to avoid swear words. First question was. Why, why don't I? I don't know. I guess you use the word that suits the, the moment of the feeling, right? In the in the new album, I don't want to give away too much, but, you know, maybe that's a draw for, for the podcast other than the, mm. you know, the, the the academic value. Maybe there's a draw because there's a little bit of hybrid nightmares in the the future of hybrid nightmares. There's a, I swear, <laughs> a, I swear a lot in some of the new songs. One of the best lyrics to come out of this has been tick, 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 time's up, fuck you all. Uh, um <laughs> That's a lyric on one of the tracks off the new album. Nice. And there's no other way to like, like it doesn't have the same gravitas as screw you all or all of you go away. Like it's not like, like you're all, you know what I mean? Fuck you all is very like, like cop that. The, the intent is clear. It's a declaration. And so in those, in those situations, that's where it's important to, to swear or rather than calling it swearing, saying use those words. Mm-hmm. Vulgar or not, that occasion calls for that word. Did something motivate you to increase the amount on this new album? No, I wasn't like, yeah. Oh, look, guys, we've been taking it a bit easy these last few albums. <laughs> better, better, you know, better jack the sweat. The only record we try to beat on every release is the amount of times I can sneak it. Yeah, like if I can get like an like 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 an exponentially increasing number of yeah on every release, I've done my job. I uh, really let myself down on Obelisk because we we really dialed the X back. So I think we're going to really double down on Irk going forward. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm not like, I don't think there was any conscious choice. Like, Man, he haven't sworn lately. Um, I think it's just there are moments in the songs that call for, for that language. And, just in, in general, we've interviewed um, a, a number of Aussie musicians. And given that, I mean, Australia is known for having a fairly lackadaisical attitude towards you know, swear words, and that some of these musicians have swore multiple times during the interviews, we've kind of noticed a trend that a lot of them don't swear in their lyrics or don't swear very much at all. Uh, And Middles had a stereotype of, you know, having a lot of cuss word lyric kind of things. And I don't know if that's actually as true as the stereotype has been out, but it's a stereotype. Um, And maybe it's all just chance, but do you think there is something to this trend? Is there a reason maybe that Australian musicians avoid this when they're singing and then are happy to do it in the stage and day-to-day chat. I, uh, I noticed swearing in music as a mainly uh, North American trend mm. in heavy metal. Um, I think Europeans do it way, way less. I don't know why. Um, I think because a lot of Australian bands, especially in the underground, typically follow the European style. That would be, why they don't swear much, whether they realize it or not, Mm. that will be why. And I think because we are, as we discussed earlier, very much imitating a defined way of doing things rather than creating our own way of doing things. um, that would be why we don't swear as much. That's why bands like the chats, the Smith street band and Hilltop hoods, again, three Australian examples I can think of, they swear heaps and they sound more Aussie because of it. Mm. There's a band from Queensland, super underground band called power drill. And the name of the song is Vomit. And it's literally about, it's a punk song. Like it's like pub punk. And it's literally about going to the pub, getting pissed and like the various places you vomit on the way home. And he's talking about, I'm going to lose my fucking job. Like that's a lyric. And that's super Australian. And I think that the swearing of it, the the larrikinism of it is is where the Australianness comes in. Um, and there's not much larrikinism in heavy metal. Heavy metal guys... And girls 
often larrikins, but their music isn't really larrik larrikinist. Larrikin, I don't know. Larriconian. <laughs> Larriconian is maybe the word. <laughs> Larriconian. There's a fucking. There we go. We coined a new word today, guys. That's what the podcast's about. Nice. That's the first. Is that the first uh, lingua Britannica like word? Like yeah, word? we're gonna yeah, we're gonna shut it down yeah. now. We've invented a word. We're, yeah, we're, we're done. We're done. We're done. Laric, we're Laric, done now. <laughs> Larriconian. Larriconian. We've achieved our purpose. Larriconian. I'm going to use it. That's, that's... Well, it's interesting you, you kind of say this because, um, yeah, a lot of the other comments we've see, received from other Aussie musicians have been things like, uh, you know, in Australia, swear words don't really have any kind of like offensive power anymore. and They don't shock anymore. So there's no point kind of including them in lyrics. Like, do you feel that there's any truth to that? I think the right word at the right time can mean a lot. Mm. Um, so like a fuck, like a, again, like the lyric, like fuck you all, a declaration of like, like hate that's powerful um as the worms eat shit so too shall you ex mortis eating shit like physically worms eat shit right mm. um literally it means like you're tasting dirt you're copping it you're getting bashed you're getting murdered you're, you're eating shit that has a very visceral violent implication not as much as eating dirt even though it's functionally the same thing right so if i said as the worms eat dirt so too, so too shall you doesn't sound as violent as the worms eat shit so too shall you so the the word is chosen for its for its intent and its perception telling someone to eat shit ah you're gonna eat shit man like that's that still has power those words still have power mm -hmm. situationally and with intent so i guess that's probably why as if an australian means to offend you by way of swearing they still can even though they use those words all the time as well mm -hmm. um i think it's a lot more about the bite and the tone of it or the intent behind it mm, so contextual use rather than the swear words themselves yeah context is context is key one thing you do do that we actually uh, do -do. haven't do do ah, <laughs> uh, speaking of vulgarities um that we didn't see other australian musicians do much of and you've mentioned already that you quite like it is rhyme love it um why do you find rhyme to be so I may, I maybe is important the wrong word or just uh, useful or something that appeals to you in your lyric writing? Rhyming is, it both strips you of power and grants you immense power. Um, it strips you of power because in order to make something make sense and still rhyme, you have to be very careful with your word choice. So it requires a lot more thinking. And this goes back to the, I love this. This is all in cycles and cycles are my jam. This goes back to the thing we talked about in the interview earlier, where I said, if I think something's clever, it doesn't matter if it's what it is. If it's clever, it's clever, right? And so if I hear someone make a particularly good rhyme out of a, like say a complicated word or a uh, more uncommon word or a word that I didn't even realize was going to work there, but it totally did. Um, and it's rhymed. Oh, that's even better. That's like the double whammy. Um, I choose so so it strips you of power because you're restricted to making something make sense and rhyme. It grants you power because um, it opens up a whole lot of uh, options to you in terms of flow, in terms of um, speed and pace of of lyrics and 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 that sort of thing. So when you're writing, I guess it's the difference between writing prosaically and poetically, right? Like a lot of metal lyricists write prosaically mm. um they this it's a story it's told uh rather than sung i don't know if that makes sense but like from start to finish it 
it doesn't rhyme and it's told in prose. Whereas I've always, for me, it's always been like a poems. I know not all poems rhyme. I'm not that stupid, but <laughs> poems frequently rhyme. And so I say poetically as lyrics is like rhyming lyrics or things with more structure, more definition. Um, and I think that grants you a lot of freedom and it makes it, I guess it makes it stand out more because sometimes prose can be very muddy. Um, mm-hmm. It can be people using big words for the sake of using big words um, because it makes them sound more profound or more sincere or more intelligent or whatever. Um, but then you lose the meaning because it's just like a mishmash of big fucking words. Um, it becomes a puddle. Uh, whereas because you've restricted yourself, you've also granted yourself a lot of power because what you have to do often has to be simple. Um, and so it makes it easier to take on straight away. Catchier because it rhymes. People remember rhyming stuff all the time. Lube beer will come to you. 13, 30, 32. Everyone, any Australian listening to this knows that song. I didn't have to sing mm-hmm. the second line. Um, whereas if it was like, Lube beer will visit your house. 31, 89, 63. Like it doesn't stick as well in the brain, right? <laughs> so it's the same with like, um, metal lyrics, uh, you, they give you power. The rhyme gives you power. It sounds so weird, doesn't it? It's like the rhyme is power, but it is. It gives it more catch and more hook and those lessons or those meanings will stay with people longer if they remember them or they think about it and go, fuck, that's a clever rhyme. Um, so yeah, that, that's why I, I use a lot of rhyme. Um, my favorite, most clever lyricist top I don't know if they're the top two, but two of my favorites are, as I mentioned earlier, the, the recently departed MF Doom genius. Um, and the other is Danny Filth. And they're both infamous for their tricky rhymes. And it doesn't even have to be end of line or end of stanza rhyming. It can be he'll, they'll place a rhyme. They'll place the first rhyme in the middle of a sentence and another rhyme at the end of the sentence. And then they will revisit that mid sentence rhyme at the end of the second sentence only to rhyme it again in the middle of the third sentence and resolve it by using the second rhyme at the end of the third sentence. So it becomes like a rhyme in triplicate and a rhyme in duplicate sandwich. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's clever. That's so smart. There was a, there was a channel. I wish I remembered the name of it because I saw it years and years ago and I reckon you guys would fucking froth it. It was a guy who took hip hop lyrics and he would color code the rhymes oh, in yeah. sentences no i've seen that yeah 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 and so like you're listening to the lyrics and like man this sounds really good why does this sound so good it sounds so something about it and then he goes like oh shit he's actually rhymed here 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 and here and you don't even realize it until you someone points it at you and you go holy shit that's why it sounds so good so i think that's why rhyming is for me i guess a really great tool um and no one i don't think anyone in heavy metal does it better than mr filth he's just got rhyming saliva and saliva like you don't say saliva <laughs> very often um unless you're in you know the medical practice or whatever um but survivor and saliva is just one of the best rhymes ever i think the video you're talking about was uh it's vox rapping deconstructed that must be it i'm gonna look look we have to terminate because i've got a lot of watching to do tonight no um <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like it could be that and that that is fascinating. Go home. Anyone listening to the podcast, I encourage you if you like hip hop at all, go away and just look at that. That's just the best. It, it it helps you understand. I guess a lot of people, you know, like they listen to hip hop 
like olds listen to hip hop. They go, I could do this. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. See, I just did it. And it's like, but you're not, you're not, you're not really getting it though, are you? Because you're not really listening to it. You're not really giving it a chance. Mm. And the best lyricists, at least back then, are at the top of their game because they were lyricists. They mm. were storytellers. They were rhymers. These days, it's all flexing and drugs and that sort of shit. Um, and that has its place because sometimes you just want to feel like a gangster. But the best stuff is the timeless stuff, and the timeless stuff, more often than not, is clever rhymes. Right. That's that's great. It's really interesting. Uh, I think like this idea of um, yeah, the clever rhymes and stuff, and how that kind of intersects with what you were saying earlier about kind of uh, unexpected choices, and uh, it's something that we're kind of seeing like um, I suppose growing across a lot of uh, our interviews with metal musicians so far has been. Um, I suppose the desire for something different, um, something unexpected, mm. um, something that's, I suppose, just like, you know, not derivative, but yeah, generally quite clever, I suppose. Mm. Well, I think that's all of the questions that we yeah. had for you. Uh, so I suppose before we finish up, uh, can you tell us about uh, what Hybrid Nightmares has coming up? Sure. At the moment, we're in the studio working on uh, another release. Um, Five of those tracks are finalized. There is another, I want to say five in the pipeline, whether or not they get to the end, we shall see. But I think some of them are a very good chance. When COVID ends, I want to be out and about playing as soon as possible in your yeah. uh, you know, state, county, city fair, parking lot, garage, etc. I want to be on the road again. So you'll probably see us on the road in 2021, um, pandemic permitting. Awesome. Uh, Let's I imagine we will. I imagine we will tour again before we release again, though. I don't think Obelisk has. Uh, it needs more time, but mm-hmm. we are entering the studio this year to record another release. So, um, where can um, listeners go to keep track of uh, you know what you're releasing and when you might be touring? Uh, Facebook's a good bet for all those sorts of things. We have a bands in town. Head to our website, sign up for the newsletter. Um, if you'd like to purchase any of our stuff. Uh, Bandcamp gives us the best slice of digital sales. We have our own merch store on our website, www.hybridnightmares.com. Um, we distribute all our merch through there because that gives us the most um, margin on our own merch. And yeah, I think now Spotify links to Bands in Town, which links to Facebook and our overlords, our AI overlords from beyond the moon can now <laughs> predict when we're going to play before we even know when we're going to play. Um, so if you can get access to their data, tell me, cause I want to know when I get to play next, definitely hit up Facebook, the website and, um, Spotify. Awesome. We'll leave those links in the description. Yeah. Well. Thank you. Cool. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. It's really great. My pleasure. I look forward to, um, I look forward to, uh, the round table with Jared and Hudson bare minimum. <laughs> Uh, talking about the, what, what we were talking about earlier. That'd be fun. Thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Mm-hmm.